Morning. Uh, if you haven't met me before, my name's Stuart, and I'll be opening up God's Word for you this morning. If you were here last week, uh, you would have seen Michael up here, and he opened up for us that first part of Romans chapter 8, that magnificent passage where we're told that uh, once we've been justified, once we've been uh, come to that position where we've realised that uh, we no longer can run our lives ourselves and we need a saviour, at that point in time we become Christians. It begins then the process of sanctification and becoming more like Jesus. That process goes on until the time that we are glorified when we come to heaven. And that process is the one I want to talk about this morning. Last week we found out there was no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we're children of God. Uh, Satan's been beaten. Some wonderful passages. We've gained access to God as a loving Heavenly Father. It's a great description. It's like Jesus on the mountaintop with his disciples and they see him in all his glory. But then at the end of the mountain, they've got to come down. And so we're down the bottom of the mountain this morning. Paul brings us back to our troubled state in the world, the world in which we know only too well where beauty fades, sickness lingers, good things decay and death seems to come, bring it all to a grinding end. It's a world where we still struggle with sin, even though we know it's been defeated, still struggle with sin in our lives, doesn't enslave us, but it's just a day-to-day grind of living as a Christian. How do we cope? How do, how do we fit into this world? Why do we still suffer as Christians? Why do we still sin? How can we beat sin? What can we hope for? These are the sorts of questions we're looking at today in our sermon. So let's pray and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. As we read it now, please open our eyes to see its magnificence and the wonderful things you want to tell us. Amen. There's about six sermons in this passage. I'm only going to deliver one, and it won't be too long. So we're really just going to follow the gist of the passage rather than delve into each of the issues here. In the past week, have you told a lie? Perhaps to avoid conflict or protect yourself, build yourself up in front of others? I've been doing a bit of casual teaching lately and I had the occasion last week to uh, knock back a lift from someone who wanted a lift. They'd, they'd asked me before, and where the school is, I can go one way to my place or the other way. One way's got a lot of traffic and I have to take this person a little bit further on, drop them off and then beat the traffic. The other way is a nice country drive. And so at this stage I said, sorry, I have to go to Camden. I didn't have to. It was a choice that I made and I lied. I felt really bad about it. Do you gossip? Do you hear a tale and you can't wait to tell everybody else? Something in confidence and you want it, the world to know. Sometimes you can get away with it by sharing it as a prayer point in a life group, but that's just getting away from it, isn't it? How about stealing? Have you ever taken anything? the store, you're at the self-serve checkout, misplaced item in the bagging area, it's gone off three times, the assistant's come over, you've got the kids with you, you put down three avocados and really you've bought four. You don't want the assistant to come again, you feel like an idiot, so you just walk out of the store and pay. 
and you feel bad about it. In this section, Paul writes about the paradox of life in which we find ourselves. We want to live holy lives. We want to be faithful to God. But we keep on being drawn back into that old way of living. We live constantly in this state of tension between sin and grace. And Paul wants us to come to terms with it. It's a battle we'll never win. And if we beat ourselves up about it, we just become depressed and anxious and riddled with guilt. And Satan wins the victory. Well, let's have a look at the text and see what Paul's going to tell us about what this is all about. We're going to start reading verse 18. If you've got your Bibles there, it'd be great if you could follow with me because I'm not going to show you the verses on the screen today. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. The suffering Paul talks about here are not so much the pain of everyday life, you know, the financial worries and worries bringing up the kids and sickness and sufferings. It's, it's more to do with the sufferings that come through just being Christian. And again, it's not the subtle persecution that sometimes comes our way or the mocking that comes because uh, we, we hold to certain viewpoints. It's just that pain that's caused by that tension in our lives between the spirit and the flesh, that battle we're fighting. We try to be faithful followers of Jesus, but we constantly fall short because of our weakness and our sinful desires. So Paul's saying here, yes, it may be uh, hard to live with this constant tension, but it's worth it when you think about the coming glory that's going to be revealed to us. So don't just settle on what you see. Keep on lifting your eyes and look at what's before you. Sounds like my dentist. When I'm getting my tooth drilled, he says, hang in there, it's not going to be long now. Well, I know he's a liar because it always is. And to encourage us, Paul um, writes a section to show we're not alone in this struggle. It's not just me and God. It's not just the church and God. It's not just Christians worldwide and God. It's a whole of created order that's in this struggle. Have a look at verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. See, the creation joins with me in working out this tension in this suffering. Creation is waiting in anticipation just as much as I am for the glory to come. It's almost like a play where we're the actors and creation is the audience watching what's going on, eagerly awaiting the ending so creation can clap and encourage us and say, here, you've arrived. You might be a child of God, but now you're coming to that position where people are going to see you as being a child of God and creation's going to applaud you. See, we already are God's children, but we're going to become more and more like the people that God wants us to be. But the moment is coming when our true nature will be revealed. Paul then tells us, just as we struggle between spirit and flesh in the present age, so the whole of creation struggles too. The reasons given in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. When Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just them and the snake that had uh, an effect for themselves. They just didn't receive the consequences. The whole world was affected by that one sin. Creation was made futile 
It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. It was designed to work one day, but it works slightly in a different way. I don't know if you're a lawn bowler. Any lawn bowlers here? Do I see any hands raised? Okay. Been bowling before, lawn bowling, barefoot bowling. Yeah, barefoot bowling. It's fun. And you're told when you're barefoot bowling, look, there's a bias in the ball. And if, you're, if you bowl the ball straight at the jack, it's always going to go in a different direction. So the idea is to bowl it out there using the bias the right way and bring the ball back in towards the jack. I often take children bowling with my school and they don't listen to the instructions. And of course, the first ball they bowl, they pick it up and they bowl it straight towards the jack and they wonder why it goes like that. And if they've listened, but haven't listened carefully, they'll, they'll bowl that way, but they forgot which side the bias on. So the ball just doesn't go that way. It keeps on going over and destroys about three greens over. <laughs> Creation's like that. It's heading in the right direction, but it's slightly off kilter. It, it's going that way, but it's sort of veering off that way. It's because of us. That's why we see the effects in creation at the moment, of the things that are going wrong in our world. Salvation is not just for humanity. It's for the whole of creation. It's the entire created war order that's waiting for that culmination of God's gracious work. Have a look at verses 20 to 23. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves have had the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See what Paul's saying here? Yes, there is a tension, but you're not alone. It will be over soon. The whole creation groans with you in frustration. But soon, very soon, creation will be renewed and you will body, your body will be redeemed. And that's great news for those who are struggling with sin in their lives, who haven't given up. But keep on looking towards the future. Your body will be redeemed and creation will be renewed. And so Paul can make this definitive statement in verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. Our salvation is still something to be hoped for because it hasn't been fully revealed yet. We are children of God, but we need to work that out as we move towards that process and the glory that's to come. Who hopes for what he already has, says Paul? We are saved fact, but we wait in hope for that revelation to be revealed to the watching world. And all creation is watching because it too depends on what happens to us. And so we come to this pivotal verse, this pivotal verse, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. You got patient children at Christmas time? Are you patient yourself when you can't wait for something to happen? Can you follow the story so far? Yes, there is a tension between flesh and the spirit. We still do the things we don't want to do. We neglect to do the things we want to do. Yes, we groan in our experience. It is a battle, this sin business. We sin, we ask for forgiveness. We try a little harder. We last a little longer. But then we do exactly the same thing. And we experience frustration as a result of that tension. We want to get off that cycle of sin and repentance and forgiveness. 
And Paul says, wait. That's our current situation. Wait in patience. Paul is freeing us from the need to bash ourselves over the head, feeling continually guilty or anxious in our groaning. It's like when real labour pains start. The process is going to keep on going. It's, hopefully it's not going to stop until the baby is born. And we're in that process at the moment. We're in that tension. There is an end in sight, but we'd like it to come sooner. The tension is very real. Sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it terribly wrong. But that's just the way it is. It's reality. It's our common situation. We just need to wait patiently. And here's the big difference between Christianity and other faiths. We can be set free from that guilt of anxiety. If we're Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim, it's very easy to get down on yourself for not keeping all the rules and regulations. It's like being at the bottom of a well and uh, looking at your perspective from the bottom and thinking, how can I climb out of this? Where can I put my footholds? What are the things that I need to do to get to the top myself? But the Christian perspective is different. Instead, we look at ourselves from our end point, our goal, where we're heading to. And so our, our whole perspective in life changes. Yes, I've messed things up in my life, but I'm not useless. I'm not a waste of space. I'm not unloved. My true reality is that I'm a glorious child of God, redeemed and loved, it's just that my true nature hasn't been revealed yet and whilst I'll wait patiently for that day, I will fail, I will sin, I won't be self-disciplined in what I read and watch and think and do, but I'm not defined by my failures. I am a child of God. And my weaknesses are just a temporary state of being whilst I wait patiently. This is the hope of the Christian life. It's not like I hope it rains soon. We're not defined by our current weakness, the drought in our lives, but by our future, our promised glory. That's our hope. Ultimately, you are a glorious child of God, not a failure. And the more you grasp hold of that truth, the more you begin to act like a glorious child of God. And so you become what you hope for. And so we live in our present frustrating experience with patience and hope, not self-loathing and despair. And as we do that, we gain an ever-increasing awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So true, isn't it? When we look at our world around us, sometimes we just don't know what to pray for. When we look at our own lives, we look at the lives of others. We look at the problems in society. We look at our friends' marriages tearing apart. We look at family sickness. We look at ourselves and our failings and our anxiety and fears. And we say, God, help me. I just don't know where to start, let alone what to pray for. And Paul says, that's okay. You don't need to know where to start. The Spirit will do that for you. You don't need to select the right topics. 
You don't need to bear the weight of responsibility of bringing it all before God because the Spirit will intercede for you. In our frailty, we just need to sit in silence before God. Take a few deep breaths. And let the Spirit do the interceding for us. How liberating is that? We don't have to chant a little prayer. We don't have to say a mantra. We just need to be still. And God's Spirit takes our thoughts and our prayers to the Father. Now remember Paul's writing in Corinth here. And Corinth was a seed of uh, brash religion. It was hyped up. They spoke in tongues there. Their worship services were uh, bold and, and big and loud. And Paul, writing in Corinth, says, uh, the manifestation of the Spirit mightn't always be in that kind of terms. Sometimes, and more often than not, the manifestation of the Spirit is characterised by silence and an awareness of our weakness and inability to pray. And again, that's a very affirming idea for us. And so in our weakness and frailty and failings, nothing is wasted, nothing is absolutely futile. Paul reminds us here in verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Very misquoted verse, isn't it? I guess you've heard that before. Uh, those who aren't Christians will sometimes take a little bit of that verse and say all things work for good, leaving the bit out about those who belong to God. It's like the non-Christian view of karma. You know, things will work for good because the good and the bad will balance out. And sometimes Christians use that verse and it can be quite hurtful. You're, you're in a, a lot of pain. Something's gone terribly wrong in your life and someone will just say that verse over you and think, I, I can't see the good in my situation at the moment. Can you just stand back a little bit and, and be with me and sit with me before you start quoting that verse to me? But I think what Paul's saying is that uh, when we look at back at the whole tapestry of life, we see that everything has contributed towards our own good. It doesn't mean that every thread in the tapestry has been good, but in totality, in totality the life of the tapestry is good. Verse 29, Paul goes on. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see, life of the Christian is all about being confirmed to the likeness of Jesus, so that in the end we might be too glorified. And all the good that happens, all the bad, when you put them all together and you pull all the threads of the tapestry together, the picture is of us growing more like Jesus in thought and character. It's a great thought for us. Paul wants to shout it out from the rooftop. And so he yells this verse out, If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a victory celebration. The answer is not no one, by the way. Because if it was no one, we wouldn't be living in the real world. There is suffering in life. There are trials. There are cruel circumstances. Let's acknowledge those things. Paul's point is one of comparison. In comparison, those things are nothing compared to the love of God. Even Satan can't take away our glorious future. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those that God has chosen? 
Verse 34, who is it that condemns? No attempt of Satan telling us that we're failures or that we're useless and don't deserve to be called children of God. No bit of circumstances of life can ever be enough to separate us from the love of God. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing, no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is a glory of the Christian message. We might live in a time of tension. We might be weak. We might constantly get it wrong. Our prayer life might be rubbish. Our Bible reading not existent. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. Have you heard that? It's really the only point I want to make today. So live in the tension. Accept the frustration of failing to live up to God's standards. Don't be anxious. Don't come down on yourself. You've got a glorious future that no one can take away from you. You have been saved. Your hope is in the revealing of that fact in the near future. And the more you live in the light of that hope, the more your present reality will be transformed and the more you'll be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, the one who resurrected and glorified you, yourself. Tapestry of life might be difficult because sometimes we live on the opposite side. We can only see the threads. When we turn it over and we stand back, we see that God is working good in our lives and the good all has to do with that process of becoming more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this encouragement from Paul. Of when we fail, you keep on picking us up and saying, keep on going, don't give up. I've done it all for you. Just live this life. Keep on working at it through the Spirit. And one day, the world and creation and others will see the fullness of the glory of being a child of God. Amen.